The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture reading today is from Mark 10, verses 32 through 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus is walking ahead of them. And they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And, talk, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptisms with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. I am so encouraged by the talent that is in this church and the giftedness and those that are serving uh, Compton. Man, that song this morning. Dude, he came out front. It's a freshman at my alma mater, University of Memphis. And uh, um, man, I was really blessed by that and by everyone this morning. Um, It's been it's been wonderful. And what Erin did not tell you is she is going to be part of the musical union. And uh, you can come and see her natural giftedness showing off. And I cannot wait. So look forward to that. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me as we dive into this text. Father, we need you this morning. And no one needs you more than me. Oh God, I need your Holy Spirit to move my heart and mind to say what needs to be said. But, oh God, only you can allow us to receive what needs to be said. You are the God that gives eyes to see and ears to hear. You're the God that brings dead heart and souls to life. You're the one that stands before dead bones and raises them up up, that they might dance again. 
And so I pray this morning that that's precisely what you would do with your word, that you would speak to us, O oh God. If you don't speak, what we do is in vain. Bring glory to your son Jesus, Father, and accomplish your will through your word. Make us a distinct community, O oh God, and use this word to advance that purpose. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Andrew Brunson is a name some may know in this room, but I would assume not many. Uh, He is an EPC, which is the denomination our church is in, affiliated with. He's an EPC missionary in Turkey. And he's been in Turkey for 25 years, but he's been in jail in Turkey for the last year and a half. He is in jail for trumped-up charges. Um, They have charged him with um, collaborating with a terrorist organization that staged a coup in Turkey a couple of years ago, and it's all false. He is only being targeted because he is a Christian missionary in Turkey. His wife, Noreen, and their daughters, and a whole host of people, um, officials in our denomination, uh, have been pleading with uh, the ambassador to Turkey and um, even with to the, the top office of the presidency, and, and they are lobbying for his freedom. And for us, we, we get an understanding of what that means. That means to be released from prison. But what I want to ask this morning is, does a freedom exist that is greater from the release from your circumstances? Is there a freedom that supersedes your circumstances and no matter what this world throws at you, you are a free person? You see, friends, that is the message of the gospel, and that's the thrust of this passage. Jesus, I don't know if you caught it, but he is out front. When you talk about somebody being out front, I mean, you kind of, you know, we we have visions. If you look at that picture up there, the I'm a man march, there is a line and there are men marching together. But Jesus was not in the line. Jesus was out front. He was leading it. He was out front because... He was determined to get to Jerusalem to do what he came to do. But see, it was during the time of Passover, and that's why, or that's what the apostles and the disciples assumed they were going to do, celebrate the Passover. The Passover was um, a holiday, if you will, a feast. There were several feasts of it during the seven-day period that they celebrated and commemorated Passover. And it's the time that God commanded his people to remember that they were a delivered people. They were to go and, and in their eating, and if you want to hear more and experience more about that, what that meal, what that feast was about, be here today at five. We're going to read through it. We're going to do all the symbols. You know, the children are going to throw bread to get the yeast out of the camp. It's a weird thing to us, but it would have been totally natural to the Jews and to Israel. They were going to, to remember That God was a God who delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, slavery that they were in for 400 years. He delivered them through death. You see, he told his people to um, 
to sacrifice a lamb and to put the blood of the lamb to literally paint it over the, the, the door frames of their homes. And that night, the angel of death was going to pass over and any home that had the blood over the door would be passed over. But those that didn't, the firstborn son of every household that didn't have the blood painted over it, that son would die. And that's exactly what happened. And so that is what motivated, finally, Pharaoh, at least for a short window, to tell the people of Israel to leave. And they did. But they get to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind. He's hard of heart, and he releases his army. And they come bearing down upon them. They can see them in the distance. And and Israel says, oh, my. They look at Moses like, what are you going to do now? And Moses looks up to heaven, and God says, lift up your staff. How foolish. Lift up the stick in your hand. Okay, God. And what does God do? Boom! The Red Sea begins to part. The people of God go through on dry ground. The enemies enter the sea and the wall of water comes down upon them. And they enter the land of freedom as a delivered people delivered by the hand of God through the blood of a lamb. And that's what they were going to Jerusalem to remember. And yet Jesus is going to teach them what true freedom is all about. Jesus is going to teach them what that there exists a freedom in Him that frees them from the worst enemy that they have and that frees them to the kind of life that they've been made for. You see, they have been freed from and they're going to be freed to. And we are too. So let's look at this passage. The first thing we need to see that Jesus is showing us is that we are freed from the need to be in control. If there is anything that we are after, and we see this in the disciples, one of the reasons that Jesus is alone out front is because the people are afraid and amazed. They're holding back. Why? Because they want to control what's going on. And whenever you try to control what's going on in your life, you hesitate. You hesitate from doing what God's called you to do. And that fills you with worry, and that fills you with anxiety. I did some research on worry and anxiety this week, and I came across one study. I came across a lot of studies. But one I found interesting because it, it, it evidenced or it, it, it uh, gave the statistic that 86% of British people... Are, are encountering some wrestling or experience with anxiety or worry. And I would have to say, well, that, I mean, it would have to be at least 90% of us and the other 10% are narcissists. I mean, you know, we're all struggling with worry and anxiety to some level and to some degree, you see. And the the article defined the root cause of anxiety and worry as this. An intolerance of uncertainty. Wow. The best definition I've ever seen. Doesn't that describe you and doesn't it describe me? An intolerance. It's not that we don't like. We are intolerant of uncertainty. We have to see what's coming around the corner. We have to know where the next step is landing. We have to know where the next dollar is coming from. We have to know. Why? Because we are control freaks. Every single one of us 
are control freaks. I love, um, or I really benefited from Deuce's illustration last week in an amazing sermon he preached uh, on that text. And he talked about the Enlightenment, how before the Enlightenment we uh, were people that look to revelation to find our truth, but after the Enlightenment, we began to look to research, science, to tell us what is true. If we can't put it under a microscope, if we can't feel it, see it, if it's not tangible, then it cannot be real. That was the attack on the authority of the Scriptures. It was an attack on the way that we, that Jesus calls us to live life according to faith in His revealed will. And yet, it was so successful, even to this day, because it feeds the very essence of the fall and the curse in us. That that something in us that hears that echo from the garden, did God really say? Does God really mean, come on, surely He's not out for your good. Surely you can't trust Him. Surely you've got to be a little skeptical of Him. He's got to be up to something and and up to something no good. That's in every single one of us. But But what do we see in this picture? The disciples are following Jesus. They are following behind Him to Jerusalem. He's the one that said, let's get up and go. He's the one that said it's time to go to Jerusalem. He's the one that shows the path. He's the one that decides when it's time to stop and eat. They are following Jesus, and this is the posture for which He will eventually, through His death and resurrection, free God's people to live in. If we are anything as Christians, we are followers of Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? We follow Jesus. It's not that we are just trusting Him to deal with our sin so that we can go live the life that we want to live, but Christianity is a following. And it's really an ushering into what we've been created for. We weren't made, first and foremost, to be shepherds, but to be sheep. We weren't made, first and foremost, to be parents, but to be children. Now, because we're made in the image of God, we share in in, uh, His uh, his, um, leadership. I mean, because we're made in the God who is the creator of all things, the maker of all things, the ruler of all things, because He is a leading God, we can lead, but only, the only way that we can lead in a healthy manner is by being led. You see, when we step over here and try to lead for us outside of His strength, whether it's doing our job in the classroom, whether it's trying to do our marriage, or trying to do, um, you know, school work, or whenever we step over here and say, I am not going to be led, and that is the desire, I mean, that is the posture of every child, at least the three that I had, um, I am not going to be led. Whenever we are like this with our arms folded, We are in the most dangerous spot because we weren't made to lead alone. We were made to lead under the kingship, the rulership of God. And what we see here is the disciples becoming afraid and amazed 
because they were over here going, Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. He's lost his mind. Have you ever had that thought? God, what are you doing? If you haven't, you're not following Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't always, and I would say, Jesus rarely leads you where you want to go. He leads you where you need to go. And so the temptation is to go, Jesus, how are you going to turn this thing for good? That's where the disciples are. They were fearful. They were amazed. Even though they were physically falling Following Jesus. But note that their assumption was correct. Jesus would go to Jerusalem and it would mean his death. It's not, you know, that Jesus couldn't pull them off and say, hey guys, I know you're tired and I know you're scared, but guess what? I'm not really going to die. I know that's what you're. No. What they feared is going to happen. He has ticked off. They know there was no democracy in the land. There was autocracy. There was autonomously. There was one dude that had all the power. And if you said you don't bow the knee to him, your head is gone. They knew that. And he had said enough about his kingdom and his rule and to be put to death. Dear friends, do you understand that God is not leading you to fulfill your plan for your life, but His plan for your life? If you don't get that, and to the extent that you don't accept that, it's to the extent that you're going to be eaten up with anxiety and worry. They were correct. Jesus would be killed. But they were drastically wrong. They thought... Jesus would be killed and the hope would be over. But we know Jesus would be killed and the world would be saved. I love this. You see, Jesus, even entering Jerusalem, even going up to Jerusalem, is teaching his children. You say, Richard, you're kind of grasping. No, look at the verses right before these verses. It, it, the, the, the previous couple of paragraphs of this conversation, uh, an account of the conversation that Jesus has with a, with a rich young man who comes to him and says, Jesus, how can I be saved? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments, what are they? Do not steal, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, da 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 Well, you're right, go do it and you'll be saved. All right, well, I've done it. And Jesus, oh, okay, well, there's one more thing. Um, rich young man, go sell everything you got and give to the poor. He said the man hung his head and walked away silent. And then the disciples come to him. And they're like, what in the world? And Jesus didn't help him at first. He said, hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How would you like that sermon? How would you like him to say that and then drop the mic? What? And that's exactly what they did. They were exceedingly astonished, verses 26 and 27. Exceedingly astonished. They were overwhelmed with How can this be? And he said to them, 
or he, he, they said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You see, dear friends, God is not bound by your understanding. When He calls you to do something, He has no chains whatsoever on Him. He rules from on high. There is nothing that can get in His way. And there's nothing that will happen that is outside of His will. Even His death was at the very heart and center. It was the whole purpose of all of Israel's history. This was the, this was the culmination. And nobody understood it. Even His disciples would, would run and leave Him. To be hung on a cross and crucified. Nobody understood it. But was God at work? Yes. You see, God is not bound by anything, especially from death, because He is a resurrection God. Jesus was going to Jerusalem not to eat the Passover feast, but to be the Passover. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to be the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. Jesus was going not to be a representative sacrifice, but to be the one true sacrifice during which the the, the crucifixion, during which the, the curtain of the temple would be torn and the temple would be no more. There would be no need for it because now Jesus has redeemed God's people. He has paid the penalty of our sin forever. And there's nothing left to do. To be reconciled to the Father, but to accept and receive and believe and rest on the finished work of Christ on the cross. You see, Jesus is our Passover. So, dear friends, what are you facing right now? What is keeping you awake at night? What are you just so anxious about? What do you feel like you've got to control? Let me tell you what this passage is saying. Trust Jesus. Quit trying to be Jesus. Trust God. Quit trying to be God. He doesn't have you up there as His advisor. He doesn't need... You just need to be a child. You just need to be a servant. You just need to be faithful in what He's calling you to do and trust Him. Give Him the very essence of your trust. That's what He's calling you to do. You see, to the extent that Andrew Brunson is resting his hopes on getting out of prison, it's to that extent that he will have no peace and he will have no worry. It's to the extent that his wife and his children and us put our ultimate hope in his release. Should we fight for his release? Absolutely. Should we band together as an army of God's people and beg God and fast? Yes. But our hope doesn't depend upon it. You see, your hope better not depend on God changing your circumstances. Or you are going to leave God. Because that's not how it works. He is a God that says, lay it down and trust me. And I will make all things new one day, someday. Dear friend, God is giving you release from needing to control by being your God and Savior and King.
And that leads us to the second point. The death of Jesus frees us to love and give ourselves away. A God that loves us like that, we can give ourselves to Him. If you look at the beginning of of the book of Mark, uh, Jesus begins His public ministry with these words in the first chapter. He said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, that doesn't make any sense to us, because we are ruled by... A democracy. We have, you know, courts and we have, you know, branches of government. We don't have a king. Thank God today we don't have a king. Uh, we have their checks and balances. And that's good. But that's not what existed in the world at this time. What existed in the world at this time was one man ruled everything and what he said went. And so when Jesus started talking about his kingdom, to you and I, we're going, oh yeah, he means spiritual kingdom. To them, they were literally thinking that Jesus was coming, he was going to take the the, uh, Herod off his throne and Jesus would sit in his throne, he would be in the White House ruling the land. That's literally what they thought. That, that's where they were coming from. Thus, in verse 17 of chapter 1, when he said, follow me, they understood what he meant. Because that's what a king does. He says, you bow the knee to me and to me only. That's what a king did. And they were all cool with that. The disciples were banking on this. That is why James and John, they, they believed so firmly that Jesus was going to be on his earthly throne That is precisely why James and John kind of pulled him aside and said, Hey, when you get on on your throne in glory. They weren't talking about some future thing. They were talking about in the next few days. When you get on your throne, hey, will you put one of us on your right and the other one on your left? (laughs) And isn't that the hope that we all have? Oh God, make us have power and influence. So we can use it for your glory. And God says, no. Number one, that's not what you'll do with it, even if I give it to you. I just told you that I make a man rich and it makes him a son of hell. So why do you think I'm going to give you power? But isn't that what we do in the church? We try to see those who are in power converted so that real progress can be made for the kingdom of God. Has Jesus ever depended upon a mayor or a governor or a prince or a a president or a king to get his will done? No. That is not the way he works, and that's what we're seeing here. The economy of the kingdom of God, the political, uh, uh, political changes happen. Not through small people being lifted up, but by all of us being put down and being worshipers of Jesus and glad and joyful of His reign over us. Man, this is so important for us to hear. Jesus, Listen to, G- to Jesus' response to James and John. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, Dr. King, even from this site, 
argued for a nonviolent movement. But I want you to see, and, and, and it was effective. It was effective because if you get in a fight with someone who will not fight back, it's not a fight any longer, it's abuse. It's, it's brilliant. But let me tell you, it, it was so resisted by so many people. And yet, gee, what Jesus is calling you and I to? Okay, we kind of look back at the 60s. Oh, man, I mean, those were tough days. Jesus is calling His church not just to nonviolence, not just to be nonviolent against our enemy, but He said, you've heard of the people long ago, you know, I'm telling you love those who hate you. I'm telling you love those who spitefully... I'm telling you not just be nonviolent, I'm telling you to love your enemy. To be kind to those. To bless those. To pour blessing over the one who's trying to put you down. That's how the world will know that you are mine. And that is the extent of the freedom that my life, death, and resurrection affects in my people. So real quickly, what does that look like? What does a Jesus kind of sacrifice look like? God didn't just save us to say, oh, I'm out of hell now. Now God bless my life. He saved us and said, follow me. Come under my ruleship. Come under my throne. Because this is where I'm going to lead you. A Jesus kind of sacrifice. A new way of living. A new way of serving your neighbor. That's how the world is going to know. And that's how the world is going to be changed. Let's talk just quickly about, we'll finish up just quickly with this, but it's so important. Jesus' kind of sacrifice is first and foremost centered on the church and not the world. Hear me. Jesus' kind of sacrifice is centered first and foremost on us, our community, not what's happening out there. Look, he said... It should not be so, verse 43, it shall not be so among you. You see how the world works. And you know, this side of heaven, the world, there's going to be some changes, but there's not going to be. The world will never be what you want it to be until the new heaven and the new earth. Does that mean we don't fight for change? Absolutely not. We should be the, the impetus of change. But. The first and foremost way, the primary way that the world has changed is not by the world changing, but by the church changing. We should not be bemoaning that unbelievers are acting like unbelievers. We should be bemoaning that Christians are not acting like Christians. That, this is what he's talking about. Amen. We, it is to not to be so among us. That is why, hear me, that is why we can talk about the statistics in the justice system. It's the statistics of the church that haunt me. It's the fact that we've got 3,500 churches in this town and we are still segregated. And we are the poorest city in the country. The answer is not to go change the world first and foremost. The answer is to change us. Is to be the community of God. We've got the resources and we have the power through the gospel to heal everything, every disease in this city. Amen. You see, and we see it here in this passage. Jesus is 
a victim of an unjust justice system. He's falsely accused. He's falsely charged. He's falsely judged. And he's crucified. The sentence is carried out on all of those three or four falsities. And yet when Jesus rises from the dead, he doesn't launch a movement of justice reform. He launches his church. You say, Richard, are you speaking against justice reform? No! I'm speaking against trusting that justice reform is our hope as God's people. You hear me? We have something more powerful. We've got the church of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus launched. That's what He sent His Holy Spirit to. The community of God's people loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and their neighbor as themselves. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, this world will change. And it will go far beyond justice reform. (laughs) It will reach into places that are not even on our radar because that's what love does. That's the kind of Jesus sacrifice. Secondly, the Jesus Jesus kind of sacrifice is not self-righteous. Jesus said, hey, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with a baptism? That, in other words, can you die for the sins of the world? And James and John say exactly what you and I would say, yes. Jesus said, okay, well, I'll give it to you. You could probably be, you know, devoted, even though you're about to tuck tail and run at the first hint of uh, any threat. Uh, I'll give you that. You you are going to die. Notice this is not what he said. I mean, what we look for in the church is for people to stand up and say, I will follow Jesus to the end. And we make them elders. No, that's not an indictment on our elders. We don't do that. Those other churches do that. That wasn't in my notes. I'm sorry. Just forget. Forget that one. Here's my point. So often we think that discipleship is zeal. And Jesus doesn't applaud them. We will die for you, Jesus. He doesn't say, finally, I've got some faithful disciples. Hey, why don't the rest of you bums look at these two guys? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Why? Because salvation doesn't come through sacrifice. Dear friends, if you're serving God because you think that it will somehow, even in some small way, change His mind about you and endear His heart to you, you're trying to save yourself. And you are living as an offense, as an absolute stench in the nostrils of God. To use an old school illustration. I mean, what Jesus is saying here, though, I'm not looking for you to die for me so that God will love you. I'm going to do that. And I'm the only one that can do that. What I'm saying is, you should get so filled up by the reality that I'm going to Jerusalem to be your Passover lamb, that it should move your heart 
to live in a way of giving yourself away, which is number three in our final. Jesus' sacrifice is motivated by deep, life-changing gratitude. Dear friends, many of us today are serving and giving our lives away in different areas of this city. And yet many of us are burning out and our service to God oftentimes removes us from intimacy with Him. It doesn't endear us to Him. Why? Because what we're doing, we're serving God the way April does in Grey's Anatomy. Now, I would never watch Grey's Anatomy. But in Grey's Anatomy, April is the character who has saved herself sexually for God early on several seasons ago. But, or so I'm told. Um, And now where she is in her Christian faith, this week she was asked, "So, so, so you hate God. Or you think God doesn't exist. She said, oh no, I think God exists. I think God lives. I just wish he didn't. She's so angry at God because she was serving God to corner God so that he had to be good to her. I'll remain sexually pure so that my life goes the way that I intend it to go. Do you see how tricky our hearts are? Do you see? No. Jesus is saying the only way, that that's the way the world does it. That's every other religion. But my people serve me out of love and gratitude because of what I've given them. Verses 33 and 34 and then 45. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days He will rise. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. Oh, dear friends, when you begin to see you personally were the object of God's coming, that that day that he was walking into Jerusalem, facing the flogging, facing the beating, facing the the betrayal, facing the crucifixion, facing the judgment of God being cast down upon him for our sin. As he walked into Jerusalem, he had a heart and mind full of you and me personally. He did it out of love. And you see, we fight for our neighbor. We fight. That's all justice is. It's saying, that's not how you treat my neighbor. If my neighbor can't read, I'm going to teach him to read. If my neighbor has no meal, I'm going to share my meal. You don't have to have a nonprofit to do it. That's the whole point. The nonprofit sprung up because the church stopped doing it. So, dear friend, just love your neighbor. If you understand how much I love you. If you understand that you were abandoned on the side of the road, you were beat up and left for dead. In fact, you were dead. And I didn't just stand back and say, yep, you deserved it. And we did. But he said, my heart is so moved that I'm going to come in the flesh and I'm going to live under the law. I'm going to die for your sin. I'm going to be raised the third day so that you can live with hope and your confidence in life is not dependent on a job or money or looks or power or fame or pleasure But your identity in life is rooted in the fact that your Father is dancing over you because of the finished work of Jesus. 
And when you experience that, when you live in that, you can give your money away. You can give your time away. You can live those jobs. And believe me, every time you give your life away, every time you serve, I would dare say you're going to be disappointed. Because the new heaven and the new earth is future. It's not today. You're not ushering in the new heaven and the new earth by teaching a child to read. What you're doing is you're responding to the radical love of God and you're pouring it out on a child or on a youth. Or you're pouring it out on somebody who doesn't have a meal. You're just responding to what's been given to you and you're giving out of that and you're saying, God, use it how you will. Nothing has to change. I'm not out. It's not the change. That's not the end goal. The end goal is simply, it is responding to your love. That's the end goal. So, dear friends, do you know the love of God? Do you know how much He loves you? Oh, this week, would you just devour the Gospels? Devour Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Focus in on what He did for you. Read His Word. He loves you and He came and He died for you. He died not for the just but the unjust. Not for the righteous but the unrighteous. He died for you and me. So that we might be freed to live not driven by fear but faith. In His loving hand upon us. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray this morning that You would open our hearts to this beautiful message. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You have... Freed us from the guilt and shame of our sin. Oh, none of us in this room, myself at the front of that line, have any hope outside of you. We are wretched. We are failures. Oh, but God, you loved us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how good you are. And God, just open our hearts to live lives that are spilled out for you. Help us to be a community that is spilled out for you. Oh God, would you empower downtown church to love one another in such a way that the world might be blessed. May we let no one go hungry in this room. (laughs) But may we let no one go hungry outside of this room because you have not let us go hungry. Oh God, show us. Make us be the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.